on episode eight of the Insured Tech Geek podcast, talking about homeowners insurance, technology, disruption, automation, and more with Sean Harper, co-founder and CEO of Ken. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives with our own research and development team into technology that we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Day, what a day, what a day. Always a good day to geek out on insurance technology. I am your host, James Benham, the InsureTech Geek, and we are here back again after a few weeks off, getting our ducks in a row, getting our interviews lined up, researching new technology, reaching out to the industry. I mean, there's a lot going on in InsureTech. And uh, so we really enjoyed being with you for the first seven episodes. And episode eight will not disappoint. Had a phenomenal discussion with Sean Harper, the co-founder and CEO of Ken, all about automation, technology, homeowners insurance, technology companies becoming insurance companies. I, there's there's so much to unpack in this episode. I'm here with Sean Harper from Ken, joining us from a beautiful yet cold and windy Chicago. Sean, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Doing really, really great. Uh, excited to have you on. Excited to talk about insurance and tech and maybe talk about Chicago a little bit. Uh, are you in Chicago today? I am in Chicago today, and it's very cold. There's snow on the ground. Yes, there is snow on the ground. It's, uh, I checked the weather report before I talked to you, and I was like, oh, yeah, he's having a very different day than I am. I woke up, and it was uh, in the mid-60s. Of course, you got to love uh, Texas in the, in the wintertime. So, uh, so what's new in Chicago? The Cubs didn't make the playoffs, so I'm deeply sad. Are you a Cubs fan or a White Sox fan or other? You know, I, I grew up in Milwaukee, and so I'm a Brewers fan. Oh, oh, nemesis. Oh, the nemesis. Oh, yeah. I went to, uh, the Brewer stadium for the first time this year and had a great time. Uh, now they were not playing the Cubs, which is why I had a great time. Right. So I was just there to enjoy baseball. Hell of a stadium, hell of a city, Milwaukee. There's a lot of fun stuff to do there. There is. It's kind of cool. I, you know, I haven't I haven't spent a ton of time there since I uh, moved away when I was uh, 18. But it's fun. It's a good good for a day trip. It's like uh, it's kind of like a mini mini Chicago. <laughs> and they've got Summerfest. They've got the ballpark, and it's yeah, it's cool. It's it's a it's definitely a good day trip from Chicago. It is like a miniature a miniature Chicago. Have you ever been to Safe House in Milwaukee? Oh heard? yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. We have a safe house in Chicago now too. Oh, awesome! I'll have to go to it. Man, I really had fun in that place. It's like a, it's like for those of you who ha- who are listening and haven't uh, heard of it, it's like a spy bar slash restaurant. And uh, there's there's you know secret stuff all over the bar and a secret entrance. And it's you have to go to an alleyway and you go to like an office building entrance and give them the passcode. It's it's a trip. Uh, went went to Milwaukee recently and went to safe house and had a great time. So that's a really cool place. You went to university of Chicago. What'd you study there? 
I study CompSci and Econ. Oh, those are good. That's a good mix of two majors. Yeah, it was good. I was a super nerdy kid growing up. And so, you know, I, I learned to program when I was little. And so it was, it was natural that I would do CompSci in, in college. Um, and but, but, you know, University of Chicago has this like amazing economics pedigree. It's like more Nobel Prize winners in economics than any other uh, institution by like a, a factor of eight or something. And so it was, I got kind of sucked into that because I just found econ really a cool way to think about the world. And I got to study with some of the really famous professors. Like I had a class with Gary Becker, class with Robert Fogel, a couple of classes with Steve Levitt from Freakonomics, which was super cool. Uh, it was fun. It was, it was, it, it's like a very, very nerdy school, but, but I was a nerdy kid. So it worked for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I as well may have claimed and currently claim to be super nerdy. Uh, I have to ask the question, Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. Oh, okay. All right, we can move past this. Uh, my, 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 my <laughs> Lucas, po- Lucas, my co-founder, is, is, is definitely on the other side of this argument. Yeah, you know, uh, my, my show producer, Jim Greenlee, is, is hardcore Star Wars, and, and I am militant Star Trek. You know, I, Star Trek is science fiction, and, and Star Wars is fantasy, right? It was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, so it's historical fiction. And, and so that's what kind of my argument is like, if you're really into technology in the future, Star Trek is your jam, but the, uh, the fantasy element of Star Wars is amazing. You know, what I, what I like about both series is they make you dream of a different way of living and doing things. Right. And I think that's a, that's pretty important. And when you're, when you're sitting in university of Chicago and getting a comp sci degree in economics I, I went to Texas A&M University and got degrees in accounting and information systems management. Uh, I, I just was kind of obsessed with, you know, there's got to be a better way to do everything, right? This has to have pervaded your brain a bit to to want to jump into insurance and try and really shake it up. What, what led you on a path uh, from a comp sci economics degree to being an insure tech, what, what, what you, you, I think you started four companies. So what were these different companies and what'd you do and what led you here? Yeah. So I started a few and Lucas and I both started out as consultants after school. So I, I was at BCG, the strategy consulting firm and Lucas was at Accenture and it's just an awesome job because you get to see a little bit of everything. So we, we both did a bunch of work in insurance because of course, insurance companies are huge consumers of consulting work. And, uh, I just thought it was really interesting. And I did a bunch of other financial services stuff too. I did a lot of credit cards, some wealth management, some stock trading, some retail banking. And and you know, sort of by accident, while I was while I was working as a consultant, I started my first company with a friend of mine who I grew up with. And it was totally random, had nothing to do with the stuff I was doing during the day. Uh it was online it was an e commerce company in a in a niche uh we were we were the largest independent dealer of satellite radio accessories and replacement parts. At time when, when satellite radio was the large fastest growing consumer product. Yeah. But the reason why we got into it was really because my co-founder in that business, Taylor, was a huge Howard Stern fan, and uh, his satellite radio broke and he couldn't find the the power adapter. So we sort of like, you know, really didn't expect that to go anywhere. It was fun for me to start that first business because you know I'd grown up coding. And I had a comp sci degree and I here and then I got sucked in to this management consulting. And I, I looked at myself after a few years and I was like, gosh, like I always thought I'd be working in tech, 
but here I am spending all day doing, you know, spreadsheets and PowerPoints for banks. What's going on? And and so doing that first business, which was called TSS Radio, I I wrote every line of code. Um, and and it was the first time I had written code since I graduated from college, and it was really like the first like real production code that I had ever written. Um, and that just got me back into it. And and from there, I I knew you know I can never go back. You know, it's a consulting is a great spot to start your career. Um, it's good for learning, but I just got hooked on making something new. You know, I just love making things. And uh, you know, so so out of out of that first business. Uh, I started a, another financial services business. It was a payment processing business. And I did that for a few years and raised some venture capital money. It was on a bigger scale than the first one. And we sold that to to Groupon right after Groupon went public. Then I started a business that didn't work. We we sort of gave up on it. It was a, a rental car business uh, with a with a pretty cool tech angle. And And I was sitting around with Lucas and we were trying to figure out what to do next. And one thing we really wanted was we wanted to do another financial product. And, and the reason is that as techie guys, we love that they're not being a physical thing, right? Like insurance, you know, all of financial services is all done on the computer. You're just moving data around generating contracts. Um, and, and, and that appeals to us because we're really good at computers. And so we, we just thought that, given what had gone on in some of the other areas of financial services, uh, Lucas's previous business was a sort of a hedge, hedge fund software company that's now is, is now actually part of uh, NASDAQ, but that's like four acquisitions later. Oh, wow. And yeah, and so we just wanted to do, uh, we, we thought that the uh, given all the stuff that had happened in stock trading and payments and online lending, that insurance was maybe a little bit behind. And that's what got us thinking about insurance. And then we just did the lean startup thing. You know, we 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 quit our day jobs and we started trying to figure out what the angle was that we wanted to pursue and tried a bunch of things. Um, you know, the first thing that we tried was uh, sort of uh, like a little bit of a tech enabled like retail uh, brokerage. And from there, we learned we learned some stuff and we we decided that we wanted to go after homeowners and insuring other buildings. The main reason was that the the data that's available about a building has gotten so much better. So in the old days, you you really had to have somebody local who knew about it, or you'd have to rely on the user to enter a lot of data about their home. And and now with the data we can get off of aerial imagery, you know, the street view imagery, government records, there's a ton of weather data that's available now that was never available before. There's just so much that that you you can really do it differently and rely much less on self-reported data, much more on objective third-party data sources. So that got us fired up about homeowners insurance. Um, yeah, because it's been a very it's been a very person people intensive business. It's super people intensive, and if you look at expense ratios for homeowners insurance over you know the past. 30 years they've they've stayed the same and and that's that doesn't make sense to us you know we, there's so much that can be automated there it should it should be getting cheaper every year yeah it should be theoretically but but there's a lot of people involved i mean we we were really heavily involved 15 years ago in in homeowner inspections so whenever you underwrite a house you send an inspector out to check the roof out check the building out and we we would say at the time uh, the technologist there and i would say at the time man one day there's going to be a robot or a machine that that 
replaces a lot of this work, whether it's a software robot or a hardware robot. And of course, drones have had a huge impact. Uh, aerial imagery has had a huge impact. Photogrammetry has had a huge impact on that entire business line. Right. And, oh, absolutely. And then, yeah, it's, and, a, it's and then, a huge, it's a huge factor in all of this. Yeah, and aggregated public data sources. But you know, back then we didn't have. Fifteen years ago, we didn't have the sheer volume of aggregated data sources we have now. So, so all these indicators kind of lead you to, to Ken. But Ken wasn't originally a carrier. How did how, what, how did it originally manifest itself? It wasn't. Yeah. So we we really we we sort of started at the bottom and we clawed our way up. So we started as a tech-enabled retail brokerage. Um, then we started an MGA. We had we had access to another company's paper, and that you know on that we built we really built the beginnings of our uh, core processing system of our policy admin system, which is really at the center of everything that we do is the software. And um, yeah, we did that for. We were really careful about listening to the industry. And so the first thing that people told us was, well, you're never going to be able to get customers. And we said, well, heck, like we, we don't want to build this if, if, we're, <laughs> if we're not going to be able to get customers. What can we do to de-risk this? And so we, that, that was why we started you know, as an agency and we ran some marketing experiments. And at the end of that, we said, oh, well, cool. We, we actually can get customers at a reasonable price. And people really want a more tech-enabled way to get insurance. Um, so then, then what we people in the industry said was, well, okay, fine, you can get users, but they're not good users. These are the bad users. They're the ones that are going to have a lot of claims. They're bad risks. The good risks are all, you know, have a carrier relationship, have an agency relationship already. They they don't want this. And so that was when we formed the MGA to test that hypothesis. And we went for about a year and a half. And at the end of it, we looked at the results, and and actually our our uh, loss ratio was much lower than what our peers and our geographies had. And that that got us into, okay, cool. We're we're writing profitable risk. We wanna, we wanna, we wanna own some of that. Uh, there's money to be made there. And there are all these other benefits. And that that was about a year ago we started to form our first carrier. And that went live a couple months ago, it went live in July. And being a carrier helps us. It gives us a lower cost structure because we no longer have to pay to rent somebody's license. It gives us a lot more control over how the reinsurance is purchased. It speeds us up a lot, you know, because when we were using somebody else's license, we always had to run things past them. And that slows us down. You know, part of what makes us great is we have this tech platform, this analytics platform. We can make you know, our decision-making cycles really, really fast. So that got us excited about being carrier. Um, and and it's, it's hard to set those things up, though. You know, we needed to get approval from the state regulator. And we needed to raise a bunch of capital that was different than the capital we had raised so far. Yeah, that's right, we, it's not not like tech capital. I mean, you're, you're raising actual working capital for a carrier. It's totally different. Yeah, and we never could have raised. You know, we had we had we had funded the company with really like West Coast, like Silicon Valley VC money up until that point. And those those guys, they're, they're not they're not interested in putting up regulatory capital that. You know, it's pretty safe, but also earns a pretty low return. You know, these these guys are interested in rolling the dice and getting getting big returns. Yeah, and again, being an MGA, you got to experience and see how well the risk was performing that you were writing, and so you you had a lot of indi- you know, indication data that hey, this was going to be a good risk. You your first state was Florida, correct? For being a carrier, our first state was Florida. Yep. And so that's the only state right now that your license is a carrier in, um, if I'm correct. 
Um, how's how's it going so far? Yeah, you you are correct. So the the carrier is live in Florida. It's a Florida domiciled carrier. Uh, it's go it's going great. We love we love having full control over everything, um, and and we really like having skin in the game. You know the one thing we found was was back in the MGA days, we'd have to try so hard to convince a reinsurer, for example, that what we were doing made sense. And now because we have our interests are aligned and we can, it's much easier to convince them because they can see that we're putting our money where our mouth is. And it just makes things so much smoother uh, to have that alignment of interests. So it's, we're, we're really happy uh, to, to be a carrier and control our own destiny that way. Yeah. And, and what you're part of is a broader movement among computer scientists. I mean, you, you and I both uh, started around the same time. We're, we're only two years apart in age. We started around the same time writing code, going into consulting, uh, building software, and this is not the traditional path, right? Most software uh, consultants end up just building code and then licensing that code to other companies. This is a completely different path. This is saying we're going to be a technology-first company, and by the way, instead of selling to carriers, we're going to be one. <laughs> I mean, that's a <laughs> that's a big step, right? I mean, it's not like your Duck Creek or Guidewire where you're building technology, you're licensing to other traditional insurance carriers, you're saying, you know what, we're going to build a lot of tech, but it's just going to be for us. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, and, and we thought about that. And, you know, the, the other path of making stuff, making software to sell is also interesting. But the, the reason why we chose this was we didn't want to be tied. I think one of the, one of the big issues that may be the biggest issue that insurance companies and and banks, these other these other financial companies have been around for a long time. Face is their um, they have a lot of technical debt, and and when you have that much, it, it, the the process of moving off of the old stuff onto onto some new software is really problematic. Like those projects, they always seem like they take longer than people expected. They end up being more expensive, and uh, and uh, therefore. Those companies think long and hard before embarking on that, as they should. But for a t- you know, for a startup like us, we didn't want to be tied to that adoption cycle. We didn't want to have to jump through all the hoops that it would require to get a big insurance company, for example, to adopt our software. Yeah, uh, it was easier for us just to just to build it and become an insurance company. Yeah, you know that the 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 song and dance to convince a large insurance company to adopt a, a large enterprise package is a multi-year process. It, it is not. You got it. Yeah, it is not fast. And the yeah, the, and if you look at the you know, the cost structure, if you look at the income statement of of a uh, Guidewire or Salesforce or something, they actually spend a lot of their money doing sales and marketing, not writing code. Oh yeah, most most of their money. <laughs> when you when you really uh, dig into it, tell tell me without obviously getting into uh, stuff that's proprietary that you don't want to talk about on a podcast. What's the secret sauce that you can talk about publicly with Ken? What makes you this much better? Obviously, you're you're purporting that you know on your on your own website that you can save up to twenty percent over traditional uh, homeowners carriers. That's a pretty big claim. What's the secret sauce that's driving this, and how are you doing it? Yeah, it's really three parts. So the first the first uh, bit is just having a modern system. If you look at um, like a industry, ben- if you look at the Ward's benchmark, for example, for uh, homeowners insurance companies, they spend six percent of their premiums on IT. Yet, if you go and hang out at one of those companies, you'll run into a bunch of really, really smart people 
actuaries, data scientists, et cetera. And they're all like pretty frustrated that they're, uh, all their, their best ideas can't be implemented very quickly. And usually the reason are these legacy IT, uh, you know, systems. So, so part of it is just having a really efficient core processing system that is one low cost and two allows us to be really nimble in the market and, and get, you know, respond to things as they're happening. The second is the direct model. You know, one of the things that appealed to us about homeowners insurance is that it's a relatively simple product, yet it's still 94% sold through retail agencies. And it, you know, the, the numbers are amazing. Like if there are actually more retail agencies in the, in the U S than there are fast food restaurants, which to me is crazy because I eat fast food twice a day. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot of retail. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. I, I've never yeah, heard, no, I've never heard that statistic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I was shocked when I, when I saw that and, and it's, how often do people actually go visit a retail agency anymore? Like the, the reality is if you hang out at one of those places, you'll, you'll see that most of their business is being done over the phone and email. And so having, you know, you, you basically end up with a, a really high cost, uh, distributed call center, uh, which, which really isn't, isn't a good way to, to run things. So, you know, 94% of homeowners is sold through retail brokers and that, you know, if you look at the guys who use the broker channel, like, uh, you know, in Allstate, for example, they're spending almost 20% of the premium they collect on the agents and on other, other marketing stuff. Uh, versus if you look at the guys who are direct, like Geico, for example, they're spending more like 6%. So, so part of, part of it is just the business model thing. We're, we're going direct to the consumer really great at marketing. And that allows us to have a lower cost structure. Uh, in addition to the lower cost structure from IT. And then the third thing is we're taking advantage of data sources that aren't used by a lot of the the older uh, competitors. So because we have more data, now we're not cheaper. So that having a lower cost structure makes us on average cheaper, but we also are using more data, so we're more segmented. So for some users, we'll actually end up being more expensive because we think the market is underpricing the, their risk. Uh, but for folks, there, there, there are also folks who we think the market is overpricing their risk, and we have data to support that hypothesis, and that allows us to be really, really a, a great deal for those customers. Yeah, and what about claims? Claims, uh, we, we actually have our own claims organization. We uh, have a head of claims who's a very experienced guy from the industry who, you know, he, he in his previous gigs, had always been sort of frustrated about how tech worked on the claim side and thought that there was a lot that could be done. So we have, we have our own claim system to keep track of the claims. It's nice because it's very tightly integrated with the policy system. So we have all the data and all the past communications, uh, with the user. It's all in one place. Nice. Um, and then we make a lot of use of, uh, sort of lower, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of claims are going to require somebody to go and visit. You know, for, for us, you know, insuring homes, they, there can be complicated claims, but a lot of them can also be triaged out before that. And you can have enough data to adjust the claim just from aerial and satellite imagery and from photos that are taken by the, by the user. The big word, so, auto adjudication. 
you got it. You got it. And and for us, it's not even that we're trusting the machine to make the decision, but we are using the machine to gather the data more efficiently. Yeah, there are claims that are so small you can auto-adjudicate. Like you can truly let the machine make the decision and pay them out. I mean, that those do happen, right? Absolutely. And it'll be more and more over time as as you know we better data collectively get more data and and get more experience doing this. Do you have an entire machine learning team? Not really. It's just part of our engineering team. Uh, machine learning, ma- ma- deep learning, you know, subset of machine learning, subset of AI, just for the non-initiated out there. I, I, I hate saying AI because <laughs> then people, you know, as a, as like a, li- as, like Terminator, right? It does. And as a lifelong software developer, I just feel that too many marketing people have completely hijacked everything about AI to turn it into something it's not. And they, they turn expert systems and if then statements into what appears to be AI and it's not. So I, I like to just lay it out truthfully <laughs> for the, for the, for the listening public Amen. that, that, that we're really talking about typically about machine learning. This has got to be part of claims and underwriting in particular, when you're aggregating data sets as large as you are, right? You're pulling in a ton of public data sources and then a, a ton of uh, licensed private data sources that you have to buy. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing it's a big part of is marketing. Yeah, yeah. Given given how much of the cost structure of insurance is spent on marketing, it's actually one of the biggest levers. It's also one of the areas where you have the most data. Because if you just think about mm. you know, claims, we don't have that many claims. So you know, there's not that much data to crunch, and you can afford to have your claims be like somewhat more expensive. Underwriting, we do underwrite a lot more customers than have claims, of course. But then marketing, we're really thinking about the universe. There's like an infinite amount of data out there about people and homes that can be used to select which customers we want to market to because we think they're a good risk and likely to convert. Sure. I mean, you have you have access to the tax rolls, which alone will tell you where the properties are, how much they're worth and who owns them. <laughs> I mean, that's hello. That's a that's a yeah. that's a phenomenal marketing database to tap into. And Absolutely, and it's huge. Like you couldn't make use of that without machine learning. It's just too big. Yeah, and then and then pairing that up with a, a bunch of other data sets that are out there around individuals. You know, their net income, their tax, you know, status. Uh, there's a lot of things about the people that own the houses that you can use for marketing as well. So. So and that that's an you know it's interesting you bring that up Sean because that's an angle that not a lot of people that have come on the show or that I've talked to have really talked about. They talk about claims auto adjudication. They talk about streamlining the claim process, having much smaller claim teams. They talk about you know real time underwriting of houses. You know, pull the data set in, give you a price immediately, ask three questions instead of thirty. I mean, come on, how sick are you of having to fill out thirty page forms to get home insurance? It's insane, right? you're having to answer a bunch of questions that they should already know. Oh, absolutely. They should know it. And if you look at what's state of the art in other industries, you know, credit cards are a good example. If Capital One can send me an offer of credit, you know, tell me how big the line is and what the cost is going to be. And all I have to do is click on it once to get it. They're actually, that's actually a much riskier transaction than it should, than insuring somebody's home. Yet, you know, homeowners insurance still has these long forms. You got to fill out a lot of local you know, local inspection you might need to do. There's manual underwriting involved a lot of the times. And it's just, that isn't necessary. And the users don't like it. People hate filling out forms. I despise it. I actually refuse to fill out forms for insurance. I think that a lot of brokers don't 
really want to be a broker in this definition of the word, like an agent or a broker. They, they, they want their clients to do all the work for them by filling all the forms out and they just want to pass the forms on. And that really irritates me. In particular, when I'm having to repeat the same data entry every single year. Are you kidding me? As an agent, you don't have all the data I entered last year, so you can just ask me to validate and verify it. You know, so it's 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 really, it really gets ridiculous for the end customer. Nobody likes filling forms out. What happens all too often with agents is that they make you fill out the exact same information year after year after year. They don't store it. They don't help you fill the forms out. They just really, what they really, a lot of them want to do is they want to, you know, have you know have you fill the stuff out and then they'll submit it and this is not all agents right this is just but I think it's a, a material percentage of them that that really want to do as little work as possible not shop it around a whole lot and you know collect some premium they're also not exactly incentivized to help you save money right they're getting a cut of your premium so if they help you save money they're actually reducing their revenue right that's true I think the incentive problems with agents are are pretty significant and that's not to say that there aren't good agents but yeah, it doesn't mean they're not a good agent. It, it just means that this, they have the same incentive problems in the agent business that realtors have when they're representing a buy side transaction. They are not incentivized to help you get the price of that house down because it cuts their own commission. So why would they? Why would they really want to try hard to beat that person down on the value of the house when it's just going to reduce how much money they get paid? And the same totally. the same problem applies with with agents. There's a lot of really really good agents out there. And they serve a really good purpose, but there's also a lot of ones who aren't going to necessarily uh, get the job done the way the clients want it to. And I've unfortunately I've been represented by a few of those, and so I've had to I've had to continually change who represents me on the agency side because of that very problem. Now, in your case, you're direct to market. You don't have that uh, misaligned incentive problem. Your incentive and the customer's incentive are are fairly aligned, right? They are. We think they're much more aligned. Um, so not having the agent in the middle allows us to have a lower cost structure. It also, I think, allows us to have a better user experience. And, you know, one thing that's surprising to a lot of people is that ours is not entirely an online process. Like the majority of our customers do interact with a person at Kin. It's just a very different kind of interaction. If you look at our online reviews, you'll see you know, people like Ken because it's affordable. They like Ken because it's easy to sign up for and they can fiddle around with the coverages and they, they think that's neat. They like that. But they all, they'll also say, I love talking to Emma or whoever it was on the customer service side because our customer service reps are just here to help and, and they're not here to sell you anything. They're not here to cross sell you. They're not here to make money off of a business. They're here because they love helping the user and that's how we that's how we uh, manage them so that it's a it's a pretty different customer experience than dealing with a retail agent yeah that's awesome so let's let's get back to tech you, you have your own development teams your own BAs QAs developers DBAs you've got you've got full stack tech development uh, at Ken and you've built your own underwriting and claim system is that correct yep yeah, we really we we built one system that does everything, you know, from marketing all the way through to claims. So CRM as well. So you're not using an outside CRM. Yeah, CRM uh, is is really built into our our policy system. As it um, as it know, probably we'll should use be. Stuff in your case. Like we use uh, we use uh, five nine for you know the telecom stuff. Like we didn't build our own telecom stack, but you know the the telecom is built into the CRM, which is built into the 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 policy system. 
That's awesome. So without, I, I don't want to geek out like too hardcore and get into which programming languages and which JavaScript frameworks you selected because that's probably not going to be of interest to a lot of people listening. So I'll, I'll save all my super geeky technical questions for a, an offline conversation with you. Let's talk about the business model. Uh, you've relaunched. You went from being an MGA to a carrier. You've relaunched. You have one state active. Uh, what's next? Like, what are the plans? What's the world domination uh, setup for Ken? Yeah, we're, we think that what we do works everywhere, but we also think it works better in places where the weather is worse. And so we're really focused on these catastrophe-exposed places. You know, first of all, because that's where you really need insurance. You know, here in Illinois, uh, people don't pay that much attention to their insurance because, you know, the the types of weather that we're exposed to aren't that extreme. But in Florida, where a lot of our customers are, in California, which is a state we'll be launching soon, you know, you've got hurricanes and you've got fires, and and it's just a much bigger part of people's lives, the insurance. And so we we wanted to you know, solve a problem that people cared about. That's what, that's what makes us, that's what makes us happy as entrepreneurs. Um, you know, there, there are also a bunch of things about that, you know, we're making use of all this, uh, really advanced data and, uh, it gives us a bigger edge in places where the weather's riskier. You know, you could be good or not so good with data in Wisconsin and, and you might not know for a long time. But being good with data versus bad with data in Florida or California right now, it makes a huge difference and it makes an immediate one. So we'll be launching in a bunch more catastrophe exposed states over the next uh, year. And uh, and we'll be doing that you know, with, with our own insurance company, which allows us a lot more flexibility and gives us better margins and lower cost structure. That's awesome. We're also launching more products. You know, we started out with... Uh, a homeowner's insurance product, uh, HO3, but a lot of people, they, they don't, they don't need an HO3. You know, they, they live in a condo or maybe, you know, we, we actually have a lot of customers now that live in, uh, in manufactured homes, which is a big market and an underserved market. So we have a mobile home product. Um, we're launching a flood product. So it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of product expansion within our existing states as well. Hmm. So there's a few companies like yours out there. A couple come to mind, Hippo, Lemonade, that are really tech-first companies that also carry risk. Uh, do you think that this is the next generation of all insurance companies, that traditional carriers, like, ha are, are they going to be able to make the leap? Um, or are they going to have to really fundamentally transform their organizations to keep up with the next generation of insurance carrier? Yeah, so... I always I'm like hesitant to diss on the the old insurance companies because insurance was actually one of the first industries to start using computers. And that's really cool. Uh the you know the the problem I think is that there hasn't been enough entry and exit. It's so hard to start an insurance company that it's really easy if you're in this industry to become complacent. And when you're complacent, you're not facing those competitive forces to get better every year. You don't necessarily need to be as innovative on the tech side. You can just sort of rely on the same tech you've been relying on for 10, 20, 30, sometimes 40 years, keep things more or less the same, and you'll still be all right. They're going to have to respond. You know, the, the advantages of starting with a clean sheet of paper are so significant that, you know, us and our, our peers 
I think are going to have a really healthy influence on the the market as a whole, like force the existing competitors to really up their game. And they're going to have to do it in a bunch of ways. Like they're going to have to probably do some acquisitions. They're going to have to, you know, maybe start over from scratch some stuff that that instead of just building layer on top of layer, uh, they're going to have to think about it differently than they have in the past. Yeah, so it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna take a fundamental rethinking. I I too I, I don't ever want to diss on existing players if you you know are just uh, assume that they're not going to be able to transform because a lot of these insurance companies have done two things I've seen. They've started investment arms where they're starting to invest in the very companies that they are afraid that might disrupt them uh, so they can have a stake in those companies. And then they uh, have also started wholly owned subsidiaries that in some way, shape or form directly compete with their own line of business. So we're seeing some really progressive traditional line carriers take really bold steps, both in in investments and spinoffs to try and keep up with us. But I think the the writing on the wall is fairly clear that uh, the way things have been done before in insurance is just not going to be tenable simply because price point's going to drop below a point they can sustain uh, with a traditional uh, carrier model. I think that's right. You know, we look at stock trading brokerage as a, a really interesting parallel. You saw how quickly the stock trading brokerage model was the same for probably 100 years. And then just within the last 15, you you have a whole new set of players, and now uh, it's free. You can trade stocks for for nothing with Robinhood, and and everyone's had to copy them. And so I, th- I think once once you start on the sort of modern tech innovation cycle, and you get people really competing, it can drive thing. It can drive change a lot faster. It's like everything is slow until you know until it hits, and then all of a sudden everything speeds up. Yeah, and then well, then once customers start adapting it in mass, then the floodgates are already open. They won't have a choice. Yeah, it's yeah. Just not, not going to be an option. So what's next? Let's let's kind of wrap the let's put a nice bow on the discussion here. What's the next big step? Where are you going? Obviously, state expansion and okay, that's 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 just you know business next steps. You're obviously going to go after multi-line, multi-state. You, you you know why why would you not right if you have the the underpinnings to to write the business and you get the licenses, why wouldn't you do that? But technologically, where are you going with the the future of the business and the future of Ken? Hey, we're always just trying to drive efficiencies. You know, one one thing that's kind of funny is we have this system that we're really proud of, and we've been in business for three years. We've actually rewritten the system from scratch three times already. Yeah, we're always looking for a better way to do things, and and yeah, like it's it's cool to talk about new states and new product lines because it's something everybody understands. But there's a lot going on behind the scenes too, you know, in terms of just making parts of the system more efficient, taking advantage of new data sources, uh, doing things in a better way so that we can serve. Because really what we want to do is serve many, many more customers. You're a small insurance company now. We expect that we'll be a big one within five years. And we want to do that without having to add a lot of staff. And so our tech you know, our tech, as good as we think it is now, is actually going to have to get a lot better between now and then, uh, or or we won't be able to accomplish that objective. Yeah, innovators dilemma. Uh, we we built a really uh, sizable system for uh, bidding and tendering that we built in '06 and sold it in 2018. In those 12 years, we had to rewrite the entire thing, soup to nuts, three full times. And even then, when you get a certain 
number of years under your belt, a certain number of users, you end up with the exact same burdens of legacy that the traditional carriers have right now. And so it's, it's, it's interesting you know, when you're, when you're young and, and, uh, and smaller in a startup land in technology, it's much easier to adapt and change and be innovative and move forward with your customer base. But once you get a big enough customer base, big enough employee base, all of a sudden it gets much more challenging because people become uh, a little bit more intractable about change, right? Uh, so you you got it. You you've got to guard against the very inertia of doing nothing that traditional carriers do, right? Absolutely, that's that is very true. So how do you do it? How do you keep all of your people on their toes, and how do you keep the company move moving forward for the next ten years? I don't know. You know, it's not, it's not a problem we have right now. You know, right now we're still young and hungry and operating from more or less a blank sheet of paper. Yeah. This is a problem that we're going to have to face in 10 years. Well, we'll see. <laughs> you know, I, th- I do think part of it is tech has just gotten better. Like it's, it is easier with these, you know, the, the, the way that modern tech works with automated testing and it's in the cloud and there's really good version control and you use leveraging a lot of open source stuff and it just makes it makes it easier to not accumulate a ton of technical debt, but you do still have to watch out for it. Yeah. You and I both uh, got started. We we graduated college college within two years of each other. So you will understand this point of reference. From 2001, when we started JB Knowledge to now, we write approximately 70% less lines of code. It's it's That doesn't surprise me. That's pretty cool though. Yeah. It's it's staggering when you consider how much less code we write than we used to. Just, just to get the the same feature functionality because of intrinsic function, you know, all the intrinsic functions that are baked in now, all the frameworks you're sitting on top of, all the automation and testing. I, I would say that even software companies, bespoke solution providers that are doing custom development, face uh, a pretty massive pending disruption in the area of automated software development. I mean, the the, the simple fact is that it's it's getting easier and easier and easier to write less and less and less code and get more and more and more output. I mean, productivity, software development productivity is going through the roof because there's so much we don't have to write. You know, when I, I started writing software in 1991, I had to code my own drop-down menus. I had to code my own cursor selection. I mean, I had to code user interface elements that literally come with a single line of code now. Yeah, you were drawing, drawing pixels on a screen back yeah, then. Yes, yeah, we were drawing pixels on a screen. I was defining my own loops and procedures. I had to build my own data storage. We actually studied different sort algorithms like bubble sort. Remember this? Uh, we're, of we're, course. Yeah, I mean, you had to actually define which search algorithm you were going to define after you uh, designated a, a data storage format, and then you parsed that data storage and brought it into software, and then you designated a, a memory storage format, like what kind of array or linked list you were going to put it into. And by the way, pause. To me, blockchain is just an encrypted linked list, right? <laughs> I, I, when I looked at it the first time, I'm like, oh yeah, it's like a linked list with public key encryption. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's brilliant, but it's, it's not like the first time, it's just first time people took all these technologies and put them together. Which is cool, which is cool. Oh, it's super cool. I mean, blockchain's amazing. Like, and, and you gotta admit, I, what I really want is a certificate of insurance blockchain so that we can all just write COIs and everybody knows what everybody has. And then it all gets updated in real time and everybody has a syndicated copy. I mean, I, I don't know if it's ever going to happen because of the misaligned entrance, interests on knowing who has what insurance and largely because of trial lawyers using that to figure out who to sue. Um, but, but I mean, there's so much less code that we write. 
Um, but you still will inevitably hit a technical debt wall at some point. Uh, I just hope it's not nearly as severe as it used to be, right? So exciting times over at Ken. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us about your background and history too. I, I want to point out, let's let's go back to the beginning. I like to I like to finish where we start. This uh this little TSS radio company that y'all started in 2004, where you co-founded, ended up being number 94 on the Inc. 500 in 2009. <laughs> and uh, it, this actually turned into a real thing. And by the way, I used to love Sirius Radio. I still listen to satellite radio. And uh, I, I remember the days when you had to buy third-party equipment to put it in your car. What the, the, it, I, I think that's so cool that you were that, that, that involved and that this little radio company ended up being kind of a big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it was cool. You know, sometimes you start something and, uh, you know, it just takes on a life of its own. And, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a really fun business. Cause we had, a you know, we were providing something custom started, started really simple and, uh, we were providing something people needed and we just sort of followed that. Yeah. Which, which kind of brings you to the whole point of Ken, you're trying to solve pain, right? And that's what, unfortunately in software, we don't spend enough time in school focusing on discovering problems, you know, cause we, we really spend our entire time in, uh, in the business college or in computer science spent on developing the solution. And, uh, what excites me about Ken is that you have studied the problem and the problem is there's too much friction and too much overhead in home insurance and you're trying to tackle it. And so, uh, kudos to you for that. Thank you. Yeah. So any, uh, any closing comments for our listeners, where can they go to get more information and what do you want to leave them with? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the best place to get information is at ken.com, and we're available in an increasing number of uh, catastrophe-exposed areas. So you're going to be all over the, the Gulf Coast and the Atlantic seaboard then. <laughs> and California. Yeah, and California. I mean, my gosh, they've they've been racked by a bunch of natural disasters, haven't they? Those fires, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's significant. It seems like it's either a fire or a mudslide or an earthquake over there. And uh, then, of course, I, I grew up in South Louisiana. So for us, we didn't even think about it when another hurricane came through. It was just a really good excuse for a party. And if you've never been to a hurricane party, Sean, I want to encourage you when you open business in Louisiana, when you have your hur first hurricane, I want you to go down to your new coverage area in advance of the hurricane and go party with some South Louisianians in advance of large storms because they know how to get ready for a storm all i'm saying <laughs> i believe it <laughs> you, you know they do they they empty the fridge of all the food they know is going to go back because they're going to lose power for four days they get all the booze out and they have blowouts before these hurricanes come through and if you didn't know that trust me you want to go to louisiana before a hurricane and go have some hurricane parties with people because they are truly epic and uh also teaches you how to uh how to make the best of a tough situation uh, those people are are truly resilient in their ability to respond respond to storms. If you haven't heard of the uh, Cajun Navy, uh, you uh, you will hear about it when you go down to Louisiana for the first time. Uh, when you guys decide to open up uh, business in that state, it's a group of volunteer Cajuns that take their flat boats out after hurricanes and go rescue people and get them out of their houses. And uh, That's incredible. they are incredible. They're awesome. Uh, they take care of their people. And uh, there's no place like it. So uh, good luck to you. I hope it goes well at Ken. And thanks for taking time to talk with us today on the InsureTech Geek Podcast. Thank you. And that's all for our episode of the InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge. JBKnowledge.com. 
We are all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham, jamesbenham.com. And thanks for joining us this week. I look forward to talking to you soon. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out.